much for tuning in to listen to our second live panel event, Best Bits. Firstly, before we get cracking on the episode, we would like to apologise for any background noise or music you may hear in this week's episode. As this was a live event and also a bank holiday, there was a bit of a party going on next door at Sing Easy West End, but hopefully it should not take away from that brilliant content that you will hear. Our live panel event guests included Stephen King and Ronan Radden from King Manual Therapy, Raffaella Covino from Applause for Thought, Trevor Gray from Trevor Gray Therapy and Brenda Shanky who is a mindset coach. Our greatest thanks to Drew Baker at Sing Easy West End, to our panellists and to Benjamin Perkis, Luke Bear and to Dom Owen. Now on to the episode, enjoy! This is called Bounce, and uh, my good friend Dom, who um, does lots of really cool initiatives and works for really good causes, did a thing called West End Wishlist, um, and it's about mental health and the industry and acceptance, all that kind of thing. Um, I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 21, um, and it's about my experiences of dealing with that through school and stuff. Cool. Yes. You know you shouldn't throw it. Your mum's staring at you because you've got that bouncy ball glint in your eye. Standing in the centre of the front room, you feel the impending doom that your mum will bring down on you soon and then you stop the fight with all your might. You throw that ball as hard as you can! The ball leaves your hand like a rocket into space. Bouncing off the stars, bouncing off the planets, bouncing off your mum's John Lewis lamp. (laughs) You're always acting out. Whether it's at home with people or alone, you go into this zone you can't get out of. It's physical. You feel it in your spine and fingers. This feeling that builds and lingers till you let it out. You're shouting and screaming and having fun. And people say you're too loud and you talk too much. You can't sit still. All the teachers say you must control your will. What is this feeling? What is this feeling coming out of me while I'm bouncing off the ceiling? But there's something about it. Something you know feels good. But you can't quite put your finger on it. Until one day, you watch Doctor Who, you see David Tennant being just like you. He doesn't care that he's too loud or he talks too much. He's got the TARDIS and the Daleks and the stars that stretch the farthest. And then your parents, your mum and your dad say to you, Hey look Ben, it's Doctor Who, maybe one day that could be you. So you start planning. Every day, looking at schools, trying to figure out a way to make the dream work. Sitting in a car one day with your dad, obviously not sitting still. He tells you, you tell him you want to go to London, chase the TARDIS over the sunset and far away. You've got big dreams and you want that today. I'm still chasing that dream and every step of the way, I never forget how lucky I am to do this today. If I hadn't seen that show, hadn't had those teachers, hadn't been able to get the train to London to sit in those theatres. I found a way to control my will. The energy now works for me, not against me. I can throw the bouncy ball against the wall and catch it. At the heart of our work is the desire to open doors, just like that one in the TARDIS. Because if you dream big and you work the hardest, 
they should let you go and find the tonics. Thank you. questions for our panel but we also have a couple for discussion so that's just how it's going to roll so Scarlett yes. would you like to know? start it? Raph and um, you briefly mentioned in your introduction you're an actor who took time out of the industry to focus on your mental health and during that time you set up a pause for thought what was it about this year out that made you think I need to do something to help? Um, so I spoke a little bit um, about it and I think my biggest driving force was um, when I initially started suffering, um, before I found CBT and the right therapist for me, I went through the NHS. Um, I did a lot of Googling. Um, I read every self-help book that Waterstones had. And um, I found that I had a lot of information. And that was about it. Like every website that I clicked on then told me what anxiety was and then kind of sent me on another link to like another website. Then then told me to go onto another website. I was like, okay, I'm getting a lot of information, but I don't know where I can actually find actual tangible help, like to actually move forward. Um, and going through the NHS, um, I booked three different appointments, cancelled, too nervous, um, couldn't do it, felt like I, I didn't deserve to be getting any help. Um, and then eventually when I um, went to the GP, um, I went through my appointment. Um, at that point, um, which I'm not usually very open about talking about, but um, I got through quite a dark time um, and very, very frequent suicidal thoughts. And I thought this was quite a big thing to tell someone. Um, and she basically offered me meds and then put me on a waiting list. And I'm still on that waiting list now. Um, so I was like, <clears throat> okay, what I, as I said earlier, I'm lucky enough to have been able to afford therapy. Um, there are so many people out there that can't. So that was my biggest driving force. I have to try and put actual, tangible help out there for people who cannot afford to, go to, um, to get therapy. Um, and my second driving force was our, our mantra, which kind of really links into what you believe as well, is that education equals prevention. It's our hashtag, it's our belief. Um, and I feel that if people are educated, um, it prevents these problems from growing. For taking an example, our last talk on tax and money management, I think if you sit back and you think, how does my tax link to my mental health? But if you're in control of your money and you're not worrying about when your next paycheck is coming in and you get that gratification, that, that validation that you are running your business and that you're not um, listening to that kind of struggling actor narrative that is placed on our shoulders, you are able to be financially stable and fulfilled. That might then stop anxiety growing, um, depression. It takes the pressure off, and that's where I think it snowballs. Um, so yes, helping people who can't afford therapy and uh, education equals prevention. No, talking about it, it's, it's incredible. Um, but for me, the two things that the mental health mission needs is, I, I said this in, in an interview um, a couple of weeks ago, is money an action. Um, it needs to be implemented into schools, uh, into colleges, um, it needs to be funded by these big institutions, um, companies, um, you know, the CAM Max of the world and things, 
it should be as standard to be getting a counsellor um, as it is to go to a physio. It's about changing the mindset that having a £60 therapy session is as important, if not more important, or going to get a vocal massage or a session, you know, all of these things. That is as important, if not more important, than getting a singing lesson and a rep lesson and going to a dance class. It all works as one. So I think trying to change that narrative will also help move us forward. Money. I don't know why I'm summarising the ends of my sentences, but I'm going to keep going. Money. Action. Singing lessons and counselling. That didn't even... That's me. Thank you so much. So, uh, as we said before, we have Stephen and Ronan from King Manual Therapy here. Um, can you talk to us uh, about your approach at the clinic? And are you finding any common themes amongst your clients with regards to their vocal health and their mental health? Yeah, I'll start. Um, so, <coughs> man, I totally echo everything that's just been said. Um, the the link between mental health and vocal health is huge, uh, much bigger than I thought when going into this. Uh, wasn't really a thing when I opened the clinic and I thought, God, I'm, I'm really going to be helping people's mental health by helping their vocal health. wasn't a thing. Uh, and now I realise it's massive. When you are an actor, you perceive success in some regard on what roles in what venues, working with which director, being paid how much. That's just the nature of the beast. I, I need to make it clear to everybody that getting nodules is not a bad thing. Getting nodules is just a thing. Having a polyp is just a thing. Having muscle tension dysphonia is just a thing. Having fucking acid reflux is just a thing. And this over-pathologizing and the negative media outlets and, and, and this is something that we're, we're facing when people come into the clinic and they go, I've got I've got an And you go, okay, all right, what are we doing to fix it? Oh no, I've got nodules, that's it. That's it, it's done, career's over. No, except that's what some GPs are telling people. You've got nodules, don't sing. Don't sing, that's it. And that's not the case. Uh, we need surgery in some cases. Uh, we need good therapy, speech therapy. We need vocal rehabilitation. There's a step between singing teachers and uh, speech language pathologists called vocal rehabilitation coaches. There's about five in the country. Um, and you can get help through Help Musicians UK to, to study with these people. About 10 sessions, something like that. It'll probably cost you, well, cost somebody a thousand pounds to get your voice back, which again, massive massive issue right um, which is why we launched the vocal health initiative uh, where we give a bursary to uh, one person at a time worth about 500 quid to come in and get the voices fixed um, which has been massive for us you know as a small concern is that when our voices fail us we perceive that we're not worth anything because we're not getting a role we're not getting a uh, and then people come to me in the midst of that voice crash and really, they need to see somebody to talk to first. Because what I'm doing is I'm touching them and I'm caring for them. But singing is created in the brain, not the vocal folds. I can't stress that enough. 
I think um, I'd maybe just add to that in, in terms of my sort of journey. So um, recently, um, I was sort of treated by Stephen and another guy called Walt Fritz. One day woke up. Throughout the day, my voice just stopped working. Is then it actually shut down? I was um, I was doing a dance course at the time, and by the end of the day, I couldn't speak. I think the thing with nodules is I remember um, sort of being diagnosed with you know trying to work to the the. Sort of bottom of what was going on with me, I was like, I wish I had nodules because then I could have got surgery and had some rehabilitation. And an easy fix. An easy fix because actually, you know, and I think we we always say in the clinic, we're not here to diagnose you, we're here to treat you. Um, and it's really important. How many times has anyone had a vocal health problem or, you know, they cracked one night and someone's like, well, you probably got nodules, you probably got this, you probably got that. You have a thousand thoughts in your head because everyone's diagnosed you. You might get fixed the first time. You might wake up the next end day and be fine. Because your brain is going to say, oh, what if, what if, what if? You'll never actually sort of move, find a sort of a cure or a sort of actual way of coping with it. Um, so I think we kind of all need to stop maybe diagnosing and actually just look at sort of sort of supporting and listening to each other and, and researching. Google is not always the answer. There's lots of wonderful things out there, um, but you know there are sort of industry professionals, and we we're, we'll answer any email. You know, you know, it doesn't cost anyone to talk to us. And, is the true importance of looking after our voices and what can we do to help vocal health when fixing mental health problems? Okay, so I, I want to answer that by talking about placebo and nocebo and they're two really important things. Uh, placebo is seen as a dirty word. You all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But this is, this is not a bad thing. This seems like a dirty thing. Oh, placebo. Oh, it doesn't really work. Of course it works. It works. That's not a physical thing, that's about your brain going, okay, something has happened, somebody in a white coat has given me something and they told me it's going to work, and I know it's going to work because I trust that person, and it works. There's also something called nocebo, which is the opposite. People come to us having been told by their senior teacher, mostly, that they have the worst jaw tension in the world. I, I would like to say that is not an okay thing to say because on palpation they're fine. The issue lies with the singing teacher not being skilled enough to get them to coordinate the breath and the articulation. About 5% of the people I treat have severe TMJ dysfunction, in which case they do have the tightest jaw in the world because they can't open their mouth to eat, right? Uh, so I think there needs to be a shift in the in kind of vocal health education for our mental health in around that somebody telling you you're doing a good job and that you're free and that you're loose and that you're only going to get better from this point on is so powerful. Because too many people will tell you what you're doing wrong and give you nothing to help do it right. And I don't know about you, but it wears me thin. <laughs> you know, I think um, it's about sometimes accepting that you might not be able to actually do things. You know, people come in and, oh, I need to do this, you know, I need to hit, you know, hit this note, I used to be able to do it. And obviously we try our best, and, and anyone sitting on this panel, to, to obviously make sure that everyone can function the way they want to. You know, find what actually works for you as a performer, find your own voice, and actually work and function, you know, the best of its ability. Don't think because you can't hit a, a, a note that you once could, or that you want to hit, that that means that you're not worth anything. I just want to jump on the end of that. Uh, drama school training can be really damaging uh, because of that. Uh, everybody's told they need to be a tenor or a soprano or a belter or a bass or a 
creaky, breathy, pop singer if they ever want to make it ever in this industry. It's lies. Uh, because, you know, every show has a full or a six-part harmony, newsflash, some of those basses, some of those are tenors, some of those are altos, yeah, some of those are sopranos, it's all cool, yeah. And the Fach system, that's what that is, you know, voice types, what the Fach am I? But, you know, voice types, um, they exist and have existed for hundreds of years because that is our biology. Okay, so when, when some, like, I've got a massive larynx, right? And, and he rips that up every time. Right, now look, because of my massive larynx, I'm a bass baritone. That's it. So yeah, I, I mean, I can coordinate up to a B flat for sure. Do I want to do it eight times a week? No. You know, do I have all that Jesus Christ superstar shit up there? Yes. For eight shows a week? No. No. So it's about knowing your limits, yeah? But it's cool, because at, at some point I'd love to play Javert. I mean, I'm never going to. But, you know, it's like actually owning that and being like, I'm not a Valjean, I'm a Javert, that's cool. It's a better role. Anyway. Thank you so much, guys, that was great. So, Trevor, um, as you said, please, you... Please don't ask me about the size of my larynx. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Cross off the questions. Um, so, as you said, you specialise in uh, psychotherapy for those who are in the performing arts and sports people. Um, from your experiences, can you explain to us any recurring themes that you see appearing for those in the performing arts and why therapy can be useful for them when dealing with their mental health? Okay, well, first is we're all people. So, um, I guess the big five things that people come to see me for is anxiety, depression, stress, trauma, addiction. That's kind of the big five that they all talk about in, in the training. So everybody in, in performing arts will have anxiety, depression, stress, probably. Um, recurring themes in arts. I guess the, the, the biggest thing is the kind of I'm, I'm not good enough syndrome. The kind of you know, almost imposter syndrome. So I'm going to be found out. Um, it's pressure from parents, it's pressure from teachers, from Directors, choreographers, um, people worried, anxious that they're going to be found out. That's the biggest worry that people have. Um, it was interesting listening to Brenda talking about prevention. I guess the thing is, most people come and see me anyway because they fit the wall. Um, you know, I wish people would come and have a, a service in an MOT instead of waiting until the, you know, the wheels fall off and they're going to crash. Um, sadly, that's kind of when people come and see me, mostly. Um, and I guess the arts is, somebody once said, is it the emotionally unstable people that go into the arts, or is it the arts that make them emotionally unstable? Um, I guess if, if you're emotionally unstable anyway, and you go into the arts, yeah, this industry is going to mess you up. It's not a stable industry, as we probably know. Um, it's, it's all about how, what you look like. And people's opinions as opposed to really kind of how good you are. You know, if you're in sports sometimes and, and I deal with people, you know, okay, there's an objective thing, there's a kind of, you know, the fastest swimmer, boom, that's it. It's not an opinion. You're the fastest or you're not the fastest. Uh, in the arts, it's about is somebody a good singer, is somebody a good dancer, is somebody a superstar or not. And that's just, you know, your opinion. Hence, people have doubts, hence, people have anxieties. Indeed, thank you. We know that therapy can be incredibly beneficial, but it can often be an expense that many of us can't quite afford. Um, 
could you offer any food for thought here today that as a whole perhaps help our mental health? Well, I was interested in listening to Raf talking about how much therapy is and how much, you know, yes, people go to a physio session or singing lesson for the same money. I would say to people, how much did you spend in your last holiday? Um, so think about it, how much did you spend on your last holiday? And if you break that down to £60 a week, how many weeks therapy could you have? You know, you go on a holiday for a week or two weeks, how long does that last? How, how, how good do you feel? How, how, how long before you're back in the routine of feeling rubbish? Um, you know, you can probably have therapy for six months or, or even 12 months sometimes on that money. So that's the kind of self-care thing. Um, I mean, it's interesting we're talking here about, you know, mental health and physical health being intertwined, and they are. So one thing, if you can't afford mental health, is, is get your physical health right. You know, truism, but, you know, make sure you're sleeping right, eating right, exercising right. All those things are kind of truisms. If you're not doing those things, then obviously your mental health is going to suffer. If you've got a physical injury, get the physical injury seen too, go and see the doctor, go and see the GP. Um, they're kind of easy things. On, on, in terms of books, self-help, uh, I see people making notes, three books I could recommend. One is called This Is Me, by a guy called Koopmans. Uh, it's a book on transactional analysis, which is the kind of psychotherapy that I perform. Uh, there's another book called Growing Up Again, by Clark and Dawson. This is all about looking back to your past, about the environment that you grew up in. Everybody's a product of their environment, so finding out and kind of working out for yourself the environment you grew up in, what your parents were telling you, what the teachers were telling you, what your siblings were telling you, your place in your family, that will really affect how you see yourself. And there's another really good book that's just come out called The Invisible Lion by a guy called Benjamin Fry, who runs an outpatients clinic in um, Oxford. Therapy is all about finding out about yourself. So it's, it's about understanding where you're from, how you got to where you are. It's my job as a therapist. It's, it's talking to somebody who you can, you can be absolutely truthful, true, confidential to. That's really important. Costs money, but talking to a professional who can ask you the right questions, get you to think, get you to challenge you in the right way, I think is really, really important. If people know of any other therapists who deal with performing arts in particular, please tell me, because I'd love to spread the word. And if anybody's thinking of an alternative career, um, there is loads of work in psychotherapy, especially in the arts. Um, and certainly for men, when I started training, people said to me, you will always work because you're a man. You know, 90% of, of, of counsellors are women. I do some work in schools, and I went to a school uh, a workshop for, for school counsellors, 128 people there, just three men, talking about social media. And of the 125 women, there was less than five that weren't white. So it's a very specific field for counsellors. We need more diversity for sure. And um, you explained in your introduction, you are a success mindset coach. What is it about this industry specifically that makes it so important for creatives to train their mindset? And what should we be doing more of regarding mindset? Um, regarding mindset, I'm going to go back to education and knowledge. Knowing, knowing who you are. 
um, knowing who, you, what your values are, what makes you tick, what makes you work, um, how you react, how you behave, what your triggers are, um, where your self-esteem is, where your self-worth is. Um, and the big thing yeah, in the performing arts is not comparing. Why would you compare yourself to another artist? Because you are amazing and individual, just as you are. So it's having that self-worth. And with mindfulness, it literally is, is bringing yourself into this moment today. The past is gone. We can't fix it. We can't change it. So forgive the past, all the shames, hurts, regrets. Let it go. Just literally let it go. And enjoy this moment. What is the best you can be of you today? And when you focus the mindset on that, with the conscious mind, through mindfulness I teach about the conscious mind, which we are unaware of. The unconscious mind is the little one we listen to, the little devil that tells us we're not good enough, you can't do that, he's better than you, she's prettier than you. And what we do is when we absorb and listen to those negative thoughts, you know what happens, they get bigger and bigger. We catastrophize, we indulge in them, and we eventually start to believe our own thoughts. They are only thoughts. So I teach to be fearless. Walk through fear. Kill it. Kill it. And it's, I have proven through years of working with people. You kill one of your fears three times, it's gone. You take control over yourself, over your mind. Only you know how you think. Only you know how it feels. But our biggest critic is ourselves. We destroy ourselves mentally more than anybody else. So it's beginning to, to love yourself, to acknowledge your goodness, and start to replace the negative thoughts with positive affirmations and positive beliefs and start to see. And again, it's not about the beauty in the mirror. See inside, I'm kind, I'm loving, I'm caring, I'm good, I'm worthy, I'm lovable, I'm enough. When do we tell ourselves those nice things? I am grateful to be alive. I am lucky to be living. I am lucky to be here. No matter what is going on, we're still lucky to be alive. And it's having that gratitude for your own life. And then once you have gratitude, in comes happiness, in comes your self-worth. And then when you believe in yourself, you shine. Some advice on this. Um, can you offer any tips on how to manage stage fright and anxious nerves? Absolutely, yes. My audiobook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you love it? No, seriously. No, seriously. No. Uh, anything you want, you go to YouTube. You Google meditation for breathing. Meditation for stage fright, meditation for body image, meditation for confidence, it's all there. And again, when you change the mindset and flood the mind with the positive coping information, you trust it, you learn it, and once it works, it works. 
But the biggest success is literally breathing. When you have a doubt, literally imagine in your conscious mind a red traffic light. Stop, breathe, breathe up to the conscious mind. Amber, you have a choice. What do you do in traffic lights? You choose left or right. If I go left, I choose calm, peace, I can do this, I believe in me, what does it matter, who cares, let it go. If I choose the other, I will choose my panic, the old, my old self-belief, my old behaviours, my worries, my fears, I will choose to indulge in the panic attack. And I live by an 80-20 rule, because I'm human. 80% of the time I try my best, the other 20% I be my absolute psycho person, the other me. We have to learn to deal with our pain, our suffering, our defaults, our vulnerability. We're afraid to say we're vulnerable, we're scared, we're failing. When you deal with your mental health, you are the stronger person. When you admit, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses. Now, this is what I'm good at. How can I change here? Because most people just, again, autopilot through, accepting, I have this and this is me. We can change. We can change all of us when we know how. We're wanting all these things, needing all these things. Happiness is right inside, all in there. That's when you have it all. Thank you so much. And um, so, over the last few months, there's been less of a stigma attached to mental health. I think, especially in the arts, and um, with things such as the BBC Mental Health season, which everyone should watch, is great. Anxiety Me, I think, was the first one that was out. It's great. Um, and celebrities highlighting mental health battles and award acceptance speeches. The conversation seems more alive than ever. What more do you think can be done to ensure this conversation is kept open and supported, especially for us who are still climbing that ever so very difficult ladder in the industry? Um, I think it's important that people support you guys uh, because what you've done, I think, almost single-handedly, really, has opened up a huge conversation. And it's awesome. Like, it's awesome. I have people who who don't know me and who don't know you guys or who know me and don't know you, you know what I mean? And they come up and they go, oh yeah, I listen to the podcast and you know, I can now do X, Y, and Z. You know, I feel that. So thank you, because that's, that's great. But I think we need more, we need more platforms. And I think, you know, getting behind a pause for thought for sure. Um, I think we have an ability uh, as social media people and actors, we are our brand, we are, you know, all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's okay to um, not post things with filters. It's okay to maybe, you know, censor your own social media thing. And I think that that's, that's something that we can look at doing more. Um, that's, that's what I would like to jump in and say. Does anyone else want to say? Yeah. Um, I think, importantly, I think it's recognising sometimes that, you know, we are on this ladder and maybe we're not at the top, but as we know, when you get to the top, it's not always, you know, sorry, but to, yeah, it's not always like that. Um, and recognising that whether, you know, 
people who just have normal jobs and they seem to have it all and they have a mortgage and kids and all these things, you know, I get really competitive about that. I don't know a lot of people in the industry when you don't know when your next paycheck's coming in. Life isn't passing you by, I think that's what I hear a lot. Just like keep on your journey, keep on your track. Don't think that, you know, when you get to the top of the ladder that you're, everything's going to be solved. You kind of always have to keep on working at your happiness, your life, your just kind of what actually works for you conversation open and um, spread the word of all these wonderful things that people are doing and uh, yeah just kind of um, I think expectation and putting that pressure on yourself I think that's what you need to evaluate um, and yeah stop hiding on social media or making your life look great because everyone literally says oh you do this this looks amazing you do that and you're like well I just put that on because I thought you know every time I post now I think am I doing this for me so I want to look back and go that was a great time in my life I had a really wonderful experience on that holiday that day that birthday whatever or am I doing that to go like look how well I'm doing are you doing that Mal um, and it's, we all are guilty for it at some point and uh, so, so yeah just kind of looking after each other and not putting pressure on each other to show off, I guess, sometimes it's most important. I, I, I always feel that the educational organisations and colleges uh, would take certainly mental health more seriously. Um, as, as Raf said, they, you know, they, they're, they're cool to do other things for education, but actually having people, you know, like ourselves coming into colleges and talking about death, or talking about bereavement, or talking about being good enough for anxiety, depression, performance anxiety, things like that. I think, you know, people at colleges need to know that kind of stuff. I think the reason they don't is because they'll be shown to be the uh, money-making organisations that they are. You know, um, having worked in a football academy, uh, the reason I got out of the football academy because I thought it was a sham. Everybody in the football academy, the staff knew that there'd be one person out of 20, maybe even one out of 50 that would make it. And yet they told everybody that this was their dream, that you'd come here and, and you know, work three or four days a week for 10 years and you'd be a professional footballer. It was a lie. And I think that a lot of the, you know, the colleges I've worked in them, I've lectured at them. Um, you know, less than 50% of people at musical theatre colleges will work. Five years after leaving college, how many people are actually still working? Anybody's ever done the figures? I'd be surprised if it was ten percent. Um, you know, uh, the abuse that I see in, in musical theatre colleges from teachers is abysmal. You've probably all seen the film Whiplash. Yeah. Isn't that what goes on? Yeah. You know, being told you're too fat, you're too heavy, you're too, you know, working hard enough, and you know, people working twelve hours a day in musical theatre colleges. Um, you know, everybody thinks like this. I think if, if, if these colleges got real and actually treated people properly, they're, they're money-making organisations, I'm afraid, so... Is there a basic counselling qualification slash something uh, anybody who doesn't know anything about psychotherapy or anything who doesn't know about cognition or anything can get behind that is that, that doesn't enable them to be a counsellor or whatever, but gives them enough grounding to have a sufficient basis by which to not fuck people up. <laughs> <laughs> you can do, um, so my mum's a teacher, um, and she's actually really qualifying um, as a counsellor, and you can do career development courses that are like £150, 
um, at various places in London that basically give you very basic training. You can be like now a mental, emotional health uh, first aider, um, which basically I think it's around between 150 and 500 pounds and just gives you that basic level of training of how to approach someone, not to use buzzwords, trigger words. Um, etc which is actually I think something that I would love to campaign for every company manager of a show to be trained in um, but yeah so there are things available but I just had a meeting with um, one of our principals on Friday um, so hopefully from September um, I will be offering uh, a year's course in Erdang for performing artists who are qualified to uh, teach learn mindfulness so that if they were in dance schools, um, they can pass it down. It, it, it's basic mindfulness, but still just um, that, so we will be offering that course um, in September. <laughs> so we just have time for one more question uh, before we get to Luke's lovely performance. Um, guys, if you could offer uh, one piece of advice to our lovely guests today, what would it be? It could be anything, anything. Okay. Uh... You need to go, if you're a singer, if you're an actor, or if you're a dancer, you need to do your respective thing of these, okay? So you need to go home, and if you live in a flat, fuck the neighbours, you need to close your eyes and put on a YouTube karaoke track, and you need to belt, and just belt, without judgement, without worry, and just let the voice go and see what happens. If you're a dancer, find a space. Church halls are great. You can rent for £10 an hour in London, seriously. Um, and you just go there and you just book it for an hour and you just put on some music and you just fucking dance around flash dance style. Um, you know, if you're, I don't know, if you're an actor, do some acting. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not an actor. But, but without judgment, yeah, because there's this thing of like, particularly in singing, and that's what I'm qualified to talk about, um, particularly in singing, you know, am I doing this right? Um, how about, does it hurt? No. Is it free? Cool. So we've spoken from, we've heard a psycho, from a psychotherapist and a mindfulness and performance coach and they are two massively different forms of support and help and the first thing that I would say is that neither is right or wrong or defines the word mental health um, and I feel like my biggest advice to um, everyone would be is find the right help for you. Um, for some people, for me, with generalised anxiety disorder, I had to go and see a psychotherapist because I needed CBT, I needed cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, that's not to say that mindfulness, in addition to that, isn't going to make me have a more happy and fulfilled life, but there are some people who don't need CBT but need more of a like performance and lifestyle coaching. Neither is wrong or right, so really spend the time searching for what resonates with you. Yeah, I think I, think I said this earlier, but I think um, just like what Stephen was saying, like find the joy in what you do. I think we all forget that sometimes. Like we're doing this because we, we can and we enjoy it. You know, it's the same people who are lawyers and accountants, they actually enjoy that. I don't know how. But they do that because they enjoy it. And whether that's because they enjoy making money and they're happy doing that, and um, that might catch up with them later in life. But we um we kind of start at the bottom of it all and and go up and down and up and down. But um, I think we just need to remember we're not life's not passing us by, you know, we'll get there in the end as long as we kind of live our own truth and, and keep finding the joy in what we do. I was going to continue with that and say, is, is live your life. Is don't live by other people's rules. Live by your life. If that means giving up the art, the arts industry, give it up. Um, somebody I was working with recently, 
we finished about six months ago with that. She was at the end. She did a two-year um, job in the West End. She just finished two years. She was wondering what to do. Uh, she's now a Pilates teacher. I was like, I'm so pleased to have given up the uh, performing industry. So if that's the right course for you, then then do that. But live, don't live by somebody else's rules, by your parents' rules, by your teachers' rules, by whatever. Live by your rules. And I'd finish with, go and behave like a five-year-old. Please, stop taking life so seriously. Have fun, laugh, enjoy yourself, look in the mirror, laugh at yourself, laugh at your friends, and see the goodness in every single day. Give it up for a brilliant panel. Stephen's amazing. He actually um, sent me a Twitter direct message last week and was like, what are you going to sing? Please can you send me the sheet music? I didn't receive the DM. Well, it had obviously been sent to me, but I only picked it up this morning. <laughs> so um, this music's landed with him today and he's smashed it out of the park first time. Can I just say as well, the girls have done such an amazing job with this podcast. They're amazing. Absolutely amazing. I was so honoured um, a few months ago when they asked me to do a podcast and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to talk about? Why do they want me? I was like, oh, of course I'll do one. If, if there's anything I can say that can help, um, I would love to. And I, I still get people message me now saying, thank you so much for your podcast. And, and, and that goes down to the girls for their amazing work. And the panel today, I'm so inspired by everything you've said. I was sat there like, there's once where I was laughing, I wanted to cry. And you, you guys are amazing, so inspiring, so thank you.
sleep alone and grow to meet me there. But I hope now you can see what my mom and dad showed me. I'm not going anywhere. I love you more and more each day. When you're running from the 
I'm just going to round it up for then stop recording and then do the rest. <laughs> so we have a little shout out first. Um, this is about a new musical. Addiction and mental illness are growing problems in our ever-changing world. Perfectly Ordinary, a brand new British musical, examines these issues and asks what it all really means. On a psychiatric ward somewhere in the UK, we meet a range of unique, sometimes tragic, sometimes hilarious characters, all striving to be normal, inverted commas. Based on real life events and inspired by real people, this show is a touching exploration on human condition. Uh, this is on at the Hope Mill Theatre in Manchester on July 22nd to July 24th. We actually have the director and uh, Matthew who wrote the book and the lyrics, Matthew Markham, and you can find them on Twitter and on Facebook. Facebook. No Instagram. No Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> perfectly ordinary the musical. So uh, if you're in Manchester from the 22nd to the 24th of July, go and check out. Um, and also give them a follow. Uh, anything we can do to support new British musical theatre and also especially about this subject. And thank you so much for coming along today. So if you want to speak to him after, it's right there. <laughs> uh, so moving on from that, the wonderful Philip Joel is putting on a class at Bass Studios on Thursday 20th June at 10.30am to 12pm to raise money for our counselling service. So please do come along um, if you want to be part of an amazing workshop um, class. Um, you can book tickets uh, via the base app or contact us or Philip himself. Um, and yeah, and we would like to thank everyone for coming along today. Our brilliant panellists, we've got Stephen and Ronan from King Manual Therapy. Uh, therapy? Wow! <laughs> Round of applause, listening and we hope you enjoyed today's episode just a little reminder that series three kickstarts on thursday we have an incredible lineup for you all for this series but kickstarting it all is the wonderful and brilliant katie richardson who is currently the musical director of six the musical tune in then